1: So I want you to think about the wonder of God, especially as we talk today about the topic of quietness as it's found in Scripture. And I thought it would be quite profound to talk about quietness to those that are in education, because if there was ever probably a group that dealt with constant confusion and often chaos and really much so wanted to have calmness, it would be those involved in education. And I think you know what I mean. Even homeschooling parents know that as well. But for those that are our guests here today, you might want to know, why did we get into this thing on quietness? Well, it actually just kind of fell today because we've been covering a series called The ABCs of Character Building. And we've selected a various character trait nearly every Sunday, and we taught on that. So this week is Q for Quietness. We too, like you educators, believe very strongly that the next generation needs to know character traits and they need to have that deeply embedded within them, probably because we've dealt with so many that seem to lack good upbringing in the area of character training. Others are needing to have it reinforced and so we are partnering with you. Perhaps a little difference with Christianity might be this, I think it's a a very significant one. And that is this, that we believe that all good, godly character, which is honesty, decency, morality, integrity, all of that, is found in the person of Christ. And when we trust Christ as our Savior, Christ and his character now lives within us. Now that doesn't mean we're automatically perfect and we have character manifested. But it does mean that we have all the power of character, of the one with character in us. And as we yield to him since we've trusted Christ as Savior. His character is able to be exchanged for our bad character and his character is lived out. Therefore, the true character training is one that is sustained because Christ, once he is in us, never leaves us. And Christians who now walk by means of that spirit of Christ, they then can have a sustaining character trait in all of them manifested in their lives. And oftentimes we do see that. And so if we wanted to define character, it would be the combination of moral qualities which show forth the righteousness of Christ in and through those who've trusted Christ as Savior, through Christians. So today we're going to talk about quietness. And it's interesting, those of us that have been on the island a long time or born here, how that when we have friends or others that move to the island that come in our midst, they often talk about how that they thought When they were coming to Hawaii, that Hawaii is such a laid-back lifestyle that all of us spend much of our time when we can on the beaches and they kind of think of all the Jimmy Buffett songs and all the things that are going on out there and they think that that's pretty much how we live. But is it not true that it seems to be the absolute opposite? After a while they're saying, I cannot believe how busy we are here. How is it for those of you that have to drive to work and you have to come from one side of the island to the other? Now, Carol and I don't live that far. We live off toward Hawaii Kai and Kuleho, up the valley. But we get up at 4, we get in the car by 5 so we can beat that early East Honolulu traffic to get in here. And then I got thinking about our own faith family and what we do here even in this building. We start Monday morning early and then we end that rest of that day in the afternoon and evening, and then Tuesday we do it all over again with many volunteers showing up that evening. We have Bible study fellowship with many ladies coming in this sanctuary studying until about 9, 9.30 at night, only to get here at Six o'clock in the morning or earlier for a group of men that start on Wednesday. We go all the way in the afternoon to the evening. Six o'clock, praise team. Seven o'clock, gather here. 7.30, there's a prayer group. There's a ladies' group. There's a men's group. About 9.30 or 10, we're hoping to shut off the lights and make it home. Thursday, we've got Tutu and me, which is grandparents working with grandkids two days a week. We do that again on Friday. The youth come Friday night. We have various meetings throughout the week. Saturdays, we're doing youth stuff, adult stuff all that stuff that's going on connection groups all over the calendar Sunday morning we get up early we shoot back here to church again at 7 (gasps) o'clock are you tired I know I am just telling you that Sometimes we have to have a Memorial Day like tomorrow just so that our building quits vibrating. You know what I'm saying? And that's just church stuff. You throw into that regular work and dealing with your kids and soccer games and softball games and football games and all the rest, how busy your life really becomes, doesn't it? And so we aren't really as quiet as we'd like it to be. And so I picked up a a cute little uh, article that was written by a lady named Martha Bolton. And it was so good, I wanted to just share this brief little article with you because it's a commentary on our life. It is humorous, so we'll laugh, and it's okay. But on the other side, it's often too true. And here's how it goes. It's titled, If God Gave Speeding Tickets. She says this. She says, Have you ever wished your microwave would hurry up? Do you get impatient, mixing instant coffee or tea? The last time you stopped and smelled the roses, they were from a can of Glade? Is your appointment calendar booked into eternity? Is your panting keeping the dog awake? Have you ever thought of renting the space shuttle so you could finish all your errands? If you answered yes to any of of the above, and she said she could answer yes to five out of the six, then it is time to slow down so you could finish and enjoy the trip more. She goes on to say this, but modern living seems permanently set in high gear. For the moment we wake up, that very second, we're in a hurry. Frankly, we're in the fast lane and we have no speed bumps in sight. We eat in a hurry. Frankly, I don't think I've chewed my food since the spring of 1970. I'm not saying how often I go to fast food restaurants, but the other day I caught myself ordering into my mailbox and driving around my house. (laughs) We work in a hurry. We have computers, fax machines, call waiting, beepers, smartphones, and that's just for our preschoolers. When it comes to driving, the average speed these days is two sonic booms per car. In fact, if you're going 55, you're probably jogging. Sometimes we even pray in a hurry. We bow our heads and bring them up so fast we get whiplash. This is the age of instant breakfast, 60-second hair conditioners, and drive-through surgical centers. Even our photo developing is fast. We just plug in, click, and print, almost in seconds. Now we get our vacation pictures so fast and begin boring our family and friends within minutes. But why all this rush? Why not take a moment and let the coffee percolate? Why not tap the brakes a little and reevaluate what's really important in life? It seems like our only free day, unfortunately, is February 29th that comes around about every four years And our only stroll down the boulevard shouldn't be when we run out of gas, taking the kids to school or soccer. After all, the world God created isn't spinning any faster, so why should his people? I think that's a good article sometimes because we do allow work in our lives to get so fast that we miss the value of real quietness and what it's about. If you'll just think with me for a moment what it was like about 100 years ago, And the sounds that we hear today that they didn't hear a hundred years ago. That would be a good conversation to have with your kids, just going through the things that we hear today that they did not hear a hundred years ago. And then I got thinking, why a hundred years? There are sounds today that I hear that I didn't hear when I was growing up. I never heard the bell of a microwave when I was growing up. We didn't have one. It wasn't that we were poor. I don't think it was really invented yet. Now kids, relax, all right? On the other hand, I didn't ever hear the announcement growing up. You've got mail. You know, I've never heard that until I was older. And so when you hear all of that, you know all that has done is open up an avalanche of more noise and more activities and more busyness in our life. And it's a real tragedy. So there really is a need today for individuals and those of us who are leaders to create a space of time dedicated to quietness. Now, who needs that? Persons, just individuals. Partners, those of us who are married. Parents, providers, professional people, and young people, even people of all ages. Wouldn't it be great that we could raise up another generation? But this generation is a generation that puts as one of their core values quietness in their life. Not quietness when you're put on a timeout. Or in some significant reason because the electricity went off on Oahu. But there was a particular time that you chose, you were strong enough between the, 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 the scream of your life to say, I need quietness and it's the right thing to have in my life. So, why is it important and what is quietness? So in doing my research so that we could maybe get something out of this message that might change us, I went back again to the various dictionaries just so we'd understand a little bit more about what quietness is. From Funk and Wagnall's desk dictionary, it came up with four different explanations of quietness. One, they said it means simply making little or no noise. Another said having little or no motion often quietness and ceasing from activity go together. Number three, characterized by silence and seclusion. And then finally, just simply gentle and mild. Maybe those that have that kind of disposition will find it easier to have the disposition toward quietness. And those that are really hustle and bustle and active might have it more difficult. But in either case, We need to bring quietness back into our life. The very first dictionary of the American language was done by Noah Webster, and he simply said this. What is quietness? It is a state of rest and stillness. Now, when you put that up against the backdrop that he was a dedicated Christian, and when he talks about rest, I'm wondering if maybe in the midst of being so busy, we're not quiet because we're not even resting in God. We can sing about it. We can talk about it. We can even teach it from the pulpit. But we haven't really learned what it means to really rest in God. that'll preach, my friends when you talk about resting in God means letting all the other stuff, let's say it this way, letting all the plates fall off those sticks, and it's okay rest in peace and Then I went into the New Testament, particularly because we mostly read the New Testament, but the concept is both old and new, and it means simply this: tranquility arising from within. Now that is important because some people have particular careers or particular lives that are way out of their control where they cannot control quietness. And God says that even in the midst of all that sound again, we can still be quiet because it does come from within. But I often think this, that maybe we're not quiet from within because we've allowed the outside to come in and we don't quiet from the within out. If I could submit to you a very simple definition of quietness that might work for you and you could work it a little bit, it would be this. Quietness is being still to know God better. And for some it might be being still to know God and end right there. In whatever case it is, perhaps when we are still and we're able to have a spirit of contemplation that we could get to know Him better. So I went to Scripture because if we say that all true biblical uh, character, in a sense, is found in Christ, then how would it be seen in the life of Christ? And it's just all over the New Testament, particularly in the Gospels. But I wanted to bring out perhaps maybe three illustrations from the life of Christ if we're looking for the model. Now, for those of you, it's not so much I want to act like Christ it's more like this is who Christ was. He's inside of me and I'm going to let him live his life out through me. So it's more him doing it and not me doing it. So here's three of them. So how is quietness illustrated in the life of Christ? Well, it is when he withdrew from society to be quiet. When he withdrew from society to be quiet. Now, those of you that are somewhat knowledgeable in the Christian faith, you might know that Christ didn't just live as a monk somewhere in some uh, Uh, Israeli monastery that he was very much involved in crowds. He had a perfect life of balance between massive crowds and individuals. But I'd also like to tell you that he had a perfect balance between crowds and individuals and even being alone at times. And that's important. Now maybe it'd be good for me to break this into this uh, discussion today, this little message, and that would be this. There are some people that when they hear quietness, it really does rock their world it's hard for them to want to be quiet. In other words, they need noise. They need busyness. And maybe it's because they're addicted to it. There's an adrenaline high when there's a lot of noise going on. Some of them are so used to it that they actually think they can think better when there's more noise than when it's so silent. It just gets to be... Their mind can't be controlled in silence and solitude. So that becomes difficult. So I began to do some research on that. Why do people have trouble being quiet? So this message, even though I'm saying this, you don't even want to lean into it because you don't want to be quiet. And I want you to know, I'm not here saying that you're sinning because of that, but I know the inner struggle and the tension. One might be this, and that's because when you were a child and you were disciplined, you were forced to go up to your room by a very, very harsh parent that would scream at you and say, go upstairs, no radio, no television, no no telephone!" And you had to be up there all by yourself. And so for you, quietness is nothing more than a residual from being punished and disciplined. And so now you just rock with, if I am quiet, it must mean I'm bad. And so you can sort that out yourself, but it could be that. The second could be that maybe some of you, you remember a time when you were made to be quiet because of silence in relationships, such as maybe in junior high when you were made fun out of as a kid and all of us have our junior high relational pain but during that particular time people shunned you they talked behind your back they left you alone they didn't include you in the crowd and so when you thought of aloneness and quietness it was because you were no good and you carry that with you or maybe it's in marriage that people would give you the or your mate would give you the silent treatment And so you are being, again, in a sense, marginalized for what you believed and what you did, or you were punished or whatever. So whenever you feel like there's silence or quietness in your world, in your marriage, in the intimacy of your life, that that's bad. And so you don't want to go there because it just has bad feelings. And I don't want to do too much with feelings, but Reality Ranch is still there. And then there's one more that might be the case. It might be just when you are silent, it is very awkward. Maybe you remember the first date you had and how awkward you felt. Or maybe the first time you got a new job and you were in a new place of employment. And, you know, there was stuff going on, but you just never felt quite like you felt fit in. You felt like you were on the outside, and so you were a little quieter than the rest. You weren't accepted in the group. And so in that particular time, you, you feel like silence is wrong. Well, I want you to know that Jesus Christ, who was perfect, and yet people would still pick on him. You know that to the point that they even brought him to the cross. Well, that being the case, he still knew that silence was important and he would move away from the crowd, from society. Let me read this to you, if you will. Matthew chapter 14, and here's what you read. It says here, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, the Sea of Galilee. While he sent the multitudes away. So he sent the disciples away on the the lake. He himself sent the multitudes away. But what did he do? It said... And when he had sent the multitudes away, and remember when there's a lot of people or humans, there's going to be a lot of noise and activity, he sent them away. He himself went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And now when evening came, he was there alone. Now I want you to know that he was a man that was purpose. He had purpose in life, a very important purpose. He came to seek and to save that which was lost, he came to preach and to teach and to heal. We'll see that in a moment. So he did have a calling in life. He had a task in life. He had a responsibility in life. In fact, his life only lasted three years. So whatever he had to do, he had to get it done and fulfill his father's wish because he only had a three-year window in which to do it. And yet even in the midst of so much to do and so little time to do it, he knew that he had to separate. And by doing that, he had to separate some of the crowds so that he could then find his way alone up into the mountains to be alone. I think sometimes when you do go to the mountains there's not a lot of people up on the mountains when was the last time you hiked to a top of a mountain you get away from the crowds it doesn't mean you won't find hikers and others that will enjoy that with you but it will be a little bit quieter well I don't think it's so much is it a location of a mountain as much as it is if you read in this that it was away from the crowds so wherever you can be that the crowds aren't clamoring for you that's going to be your mountain experience one of the Um, suggestions or permissions I I hate to use that with my staff because all these are very qualified men with great, great skill but um, periodically I'll remind our men on our team that I want them to take one day a month where they don't go shopping they get the day off they don't go with their family I don't want them to do any church things I don't want them to do their cell phone I don't want them to go into email I would like for them to get alone with God and have quietness I believe in some measure the first time they'll go, it's going to be difficult. It's a lot of time, and what do you do in that time? And it starts ticking away. Your mind is still just kind of going like jelly in a a jar, and you just can't slow it down to focus. But I believe periodically if you do this, you're going to finally be able to train your mind that there will be a spirit of quietness. And so again, that's important, and I hope you would do that as well. All right, the second we draw from him is the illustration from his life. He withdrew from service. So it's not just withdrawing from society. He withdrew from service. I want you to follow along because there's a part one and a part two in this long passage of scripture. If you want to, it's in the little outline in front of you or up on the screen behind me. Notice what it said here. It said, "...at evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door." And it says, "...then he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons." He did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and he departed to a solitary place and there prayed. I want you to stop there for a moment. Looking back now, just kind of look at that passage there that's in front of you on the outline. I want you to see that he was busy doing service. He was serving people. Whether they were sick, he healed them. Whether they had uh, some type of demonic, supernatural oppression, he was dealing with that. They were bringing all kinds of diseases, all kinds of sickness, all kinds of people were, were after him. Morning, noon, and now it's nighttime, And he was dealing with that. But he also realized that there was a time that he had to break away. Now I do not read here that all who were sick in all the world were healed. I don't see that everybody, that everyone was on the planet Earth that had demons, had their demons cast out. We don't see that. We do see that he did what he could, but at the end of the day, he realized that one of the premier core values that he needed was to be alone with God. Now, let me pause for a moment and clarify this. While he was with God, we might want to make the case he needed to be alone with God. I don't know so much that he needed to be alone with God because he was fully God. At the same time, he was man, so there was that need to connect with God the Father, in a sense. I think there's a greater lesson in here. I think the greater lesson is that he is modeling his entire life for us. People have needs, we serve them, we minister to them. At the same time, in the midst of all of that, we cannot reach everybody, we cannot teach everybody, we cannot heal everybody, we cannot resolve everybody's problem and conflict. We do what we can. But at the same time, as a premier value of serving others, ooh, watch this, is to serve ourselves for a moment and get alone with God. And so you've got to withdraw from service to be quiet. Now that was part one. Notice part two. Pick it up at the period there and it says, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let us go into the other towns, the next towns, that I may preach there also. Because of this purpose I have come forth. When he was preaching in their synagogues, all Galilee, and they healed demons. Here's my simple point is this. If you will, maybe want to look up here, and I'll kind of do it with my arms again. He was dealing with the people in this location. He then quietly went up, got up early the next morning, tired perhaps as his physicalness was and he went out and he walked out to a quiet place to pray solitary place to be with God the Father they finally found them there and he said come on Jesus back to these people here but Jesus says but in there we're going to the next town so you'll never be able to complete everything you'll never be able to get it all done there'll always be another town there'll always be another city there'll always be another phone call there'll always be another job there'll always be another thing you have to do But in between those two, the past and the future, sometimes you've got to carve out the present to be alone with God. He was our model, withdrawing from service to be quiet. And then finally, he withdrew from schedules, society, from service, and from schedules. It says here, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God, And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve, whom he also named as apostles. Now I'm going to read a little bit more into this, and I hope I'm not uh, doing injustice uh, exegetically to this passage. I don't think I am, but I think there's something we can draw from this. In other words, when he was by himself, he was preparing to select out of a bunch of people who were following him, 12 guys that he was then going to build more of his time of his life into them because he knew that he only had 3 years left and he's going to release them so he now gets away from the schedule of healing preaching casting out demons all that stuff and he gets alone and now he spends the evening in prayer the whole night in prayer awake in prayer because he's about ready watch this now to make a major decision in his life that would affect his legacy, our legacy, and the entire world. And so he took that time to be quiet. He didn't confer with anybody. He didn't read any books. Obviously, he didn't have to. But he did get alone.
0: You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida.